Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Hi, and welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. Produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Amy Middleton. Hi, I'm Amy Middleton and thanks for joining me for another episode of Women on the Line. Sex is of course a tricky topic, which many of us struggle to communicate. It can feel like there isn't much guidance out there when times get tough, and it can be hard enough recognising our own needs, let alone learning to talk about them openly. Today, I speak to two women who are experts in empowering people to address their own desires and learning, in time, how to speak up about them. Cindy Darnell is one of Australia's leading sex and relationship specialists, offering sex therapy, counselling and workshops, as well as the acclaimed online video education series The Atlas of Erotic Anatomy and Arousal. Lauren Clare is a Melbourne-based sexpert and retail sex educator with over five years' experience in matching folk to the right sexual health and pleasure products. Lauren recognised a gap in the market in terms of online adult stores and in 2015 launched Nikki Darling, a website with a strong focus on education and individualised support. Stay tuned for my interview with Lauren and Cindy and thanks for joining me for Women on the Line. So, um, Cindy, in your experience, what are some of the key issues experienced by couples and individuals in terms of their sex lives? Uh, the reasons that folks would come and see me is generally because um, there's some kind of a problem or there's something that they want to talk about. I generally don't see couples when they're really happy. <laughs> they generally don't go, hey, Cindy, we want to come and tell you how fabulous we are. <laughs> so I, I have a slightly kind of skewed experience with couples because they're generally uh, having some sort of a problem. They're not in crisis, though, and I think we need to make that distinction because Folks who come to me when they're on the verge of breaking up, that's, sometimes that's too late. So I really want to encourage listeners that if they have a bit of an inkling that there is something that needs to be discussed, to do it sooner rather than later because mm. leaving things to, to the hit crisis point can sometimes actually be too late. And when the you know, animosity sets in, it's pretty hard to come back from that. Um, it's possible, but it is much, much harder than if it's just a niggling feeling that, mm. that can be addressed relatively easily straight up so um the things that are the most common probably the most common one would be mismatched libidos um that's really really common so one partner wants it more than the other one does and that can lead to lots of confusion and hurt feelings and how do i get my needs met how do i um how do i connect with my partner without feeling like I'm trying to ambush them into doing something mm. they don't want to do. That kind of stuff is particularly uh, common. Um, for a lot of uh, cis women in particular, um, libido in general is often a thing. I meet a lot of cis women who struggle with libido, struggle with desire, so um, that's something that I talk about a lot. And, um, and that's not to say that cis men don't experience that either, but it seems there's more discussion of it, certainly, amongst these women. Mm. 
uh, also um, couples wanting to just expand their sexual repertoire and sort of not knowing how to talk about that. So one wants to do something more kinky or more, um, you know, outside of what they've normally done. And they're nervous about bringing that up. How can they, how to ask for things that they might feel uncomfortable asking for, maybe role play or dress ups or bringing in a third person, all that kind of stuff. So anything that sits outside the square of what they would normally do um, can often be a, a difficult issue to discuss. So they'll see me about stuff like that too. Mm. Well, these are such widespread issues. Um, they are such hard issues to talk about. So how do you navigate that with couples? Um, how do you get them to speak up about things that can be quite confronting? Yeah. Look, I think because by the time they've made an appointment to see somebody like me, there's at least been that level of acknowledgement that we need to talk about this, which is great. And I really encourage people to do that. It can be helpful seeing a therapist because um, it's not so much that I tell them what to do. Occasionally I tell people what to do, but mostly <laughs> I don't tell people what to do. I, I kind of ask them questions that help me work out what they need and then I tell them what they've already told me kind of thing. So it's, it's something, it's like having a sounding board uh, with somebody who, uh, uh, you know, I'm trained and I understand how these things can work for folks. So it's not so much that there's a specific formula that if you do this, you're going to get this result, mm. but rather having a discussion where we flesh out what it is that is required from them so they know the answers within them. My job is to help them pull, it, to pull those answers out. And, um, and so... Pretty much we do this by, uh, I, I sort of set up an environment where it's, it feels uh, safe and it feels okay to talk about these things without it being a big deal. And what I mean by that is not to diminish these issues and say that they're not a big deal. They are a big deal, but being able to discuss them in a way where it doesn't feel like it's about to explode, that it's sort of like being able to talk about it in the same way that you might say to your partner, oh, I'm hungry, I feel like spaghetti bolognese, um, that that's not a big deal, it's just a statement of fact. Being able to create an environment where you can say something like that about sex without it being a big deal. When you say, I'm hungry, I want spaghetti bolognese, it doesn't mean that you expect your partner to go and make the spaghetti bolognese for mm. you, or maybe it does, but <laughs> it's about talking about it, do you know what I mean? So setting up an environment where we can talk about sex as simply as we can talk about food without it, without us sort of analysing and going, well, what do you mean by spaghetti bolognese? You know, do you mm. want the vegan version or do you want the meat version? So, <laughs> you know, we've got to flesh these things out. That's interesting that you say that, Cindy, about um, uh, how you help people figure out what it is they were already wanting because that, I think, is one of the areas where what you do and what I do really overlap mm. um, because that's my experience with my, my clients and my customers as well is that they come in and they, you know, one or both partners will already know what they're headed for but they need the permission to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a lot of the time with sex stuff. Um, it's it's really just about creating that op- opportunity or the permission to speak freely and to speak frankly without feeling like you're going to be shut down. I just want to hone in on that libido thing. As you said, the difference in sex drive um, between couples or in relationships is a really widespread issue. Um, and it occurs in straight relationships and queer relationships too. Are there a number of ways that couples can address this? I mean, it sometimes feels like it's a bit of a lost cause. Yeah. Look, there's a, a, there are a number of ways, but again, it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all thing. It really mm. comes down to um, 
being able to talk about how what desire means for you, what what kind of things are important to you, and then being able to understand each other, which sounds like a bit of a wishy-washy kind of hippie answer, but that kind of is ultimately what it comes down to. Mm. Um, there's, It's about working out a, a sort of and also understanding things like the difference between uh, something called spontaneous desire and responsive desire, and I'll be very brief about this. Um, Spontaneous desire is, is something that we generally associate with desire. It's that feeling that, um, you know, desire just springs up out of nowhere. You're walking down the street and all of a sudden you're really horny and you're like, oh, I want sex. <laughs> and that happens for some people some of the time. But that, because we culturally think that that's the default and we think that that's how sex is supposed to be, that you have to be horny and in the mood to want to have sex, um, when the reality is for a lot of people that's not how sex works. Sometimes they have to start having sex. And when I say sex, I don't mean intercourse. It could be kissing, it could be fingering, it could be using toys, whatever. I'm very broad in my definition mm-hmm. of sex. Um, so they might actually need to be starting to do the sexy thing before the mood comes. So that idea that it, you know we have to be horny to want to have sex is part of the reason that many couples stumble because... Um, you know, if we're waiting, waiting, waiting for the mood to come and it never comes, then you're just going to be stranded at the bus stop forever. So sometimes you, you're waiting for the bus to come and it's not coming, you have to start walking. <laughs> and when you start walking, you might find that you get a lift or, you know, whatever happens. But if you just stand at the bus stop waiting for the bus and it doesn't come, yeah. you literally could be standing there for the rest of your life. And that mm. would be very, very disappointing. So partly this is why I've created um, an online class called the Desire Series, which is specifically about this kind of stuff and helping couples work through, because um, I've got worksheets and, and a whole range of activities for couples to do uh, at home to help them work out what their different definitions of desire is and and how they can reflect on what they need and be able to express that to their partners because trying to, literally trying to fit square pegs into round holes doesn't work. So if you are a person who doesn't want sex as much as the other person does, that's okay, but there are ways of working around that. But it can take a little bit of time and it definitely takes a lot of understanding. Um, and the, and I'll bring you in, Lauren, as well on this one. Um, the idea of uh, experimenting and broadening horizons in sex, um, that's another tricky one that a lot of people face. Um, and, Lauren, you'd have a lot of people, couples and individuals that would come to you for help with that too. For sure, absolutely. Um, people who maybe have seen something in a film that they've watched or, you know, that they've read about and they want to try but they don't know how to do it or how to do it safely... Um, how to broach that with their the partners. Um, that's absolutely something that I, I see quite a bit in my work. And how do you help them? Um, I, I think it sort of uh, goes back to what Cindy was talking about, which is just talking to people and, and helping them. You know, it's, it's about giving people permission um, to, to get where they wanted to go. And, and just making things really fun is something that I really mm. like to do because often people come in and it's, they're quite nervous, they're... Um, you know, uh, maybe they're carrying feelings of shame mm. uh, around with them as well about their desires and about the things that they want to be trying to do. Um, and so it's just about making it really fun and playful and and that's uh, it seems to work. Do you have anything to add to that, Cindy? No, look, I agree 100%. It, it is about the fun and the playfulness. 
sometimes I find, I mean, I, I guess for folks who are already at the stage of um, buying sex toys, um, they've probably reached some kind of agreement that something needs to shift and, and so they're doing that and that's a great thing. Sometimes um, if I see like one, uh, an individual who's part of a couple uh, on their own for counselling and they might just sort of share with me that they're into a particular sex practice but they don't want to tell their partner and mm. it's not necessarily something really, um, you know, extremely perverted it might be that they want to that they really like having their partner go down on them more and that and they want that more mm. um and there is a real uh aversion i think that a lot of folks really struggle to talk about sex to talk about it in very sort of straightforward ways and people come to me and they're like how can i get my partner to go down on me more without me having to tell them that, that that's what yeah. I want. Yeah. <laughs> and the reality is you can't. You can't. You have to get used to talking about it. And it's, it's, we just need to get over this terror of talking about sex because if you don't talk about it, it will go away. <laughs> we don't want that. We want it to be up close and in our faces or not. But we, well, we, know, we need to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and so this reluctance that people have about, I don't, and I understand, you know, the reticence is like, I don't want to hurt them, I don't want to offend them, I don't want to put pressure on them, da 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 da. And I get that. That's fine. That's because you're kind, you're not an asshole, you're a nice person and you want to do nice <laughs> things. Good, great, fabulous. But talking about what you might like does not make you a bad person. It doesn't make you demanding and it doesn't make you pushy. It makes you honest and it's the beginning of a really helpful conversation. That is not always easy to do and that's why folks might come to me to do it in the company of someone like me who can facilitate the mm. conversation, make it a little easier. But it does need to be done because... If you sort of sit and harbour on these things and, you know, you can pass 20 years of having sex that is not necessarily the way you want it to be and it really could have changed with a fairly simple conversation and then your partner finds out 20 years later and is like, why the hell didn't you tell me this 20 years ago? And then that can really lead to hurt feelings and be very problematic. So we don't want that. We just want folks to be upfront about it. And Lauren, you mentioned this, um, the connection between shame and desire, which... Um, something in me suggests that that might be a particularly female experience. Um, I Look, I don't know that it is, to be honest. Um, I think that there are specific ways that women and girls and women um, are taught to feel shame about their desire. But I've seen it a lot with uh, men as well, um, particularly around topics that have to do with the butt. Mm. So I, I definitely think that um, everyone gets some of these, uh, gets fed these messages around shame and... Um, that everyone has things to work out there. But for women, I do think it's specific to uh, if they want a lot of sex, you know, that's obviously you're a slut and that's not okay. So there's all that sort of thing. It's it's different for each gender, I think. Yeah, do you think this is changing? I, I find, um, yeah, women in my generation still experience shame around their desires. So I wouldn't have said it was changing too much. But what can we do about that? I mean, it's so harmful. Um, I think it is changing. I think it's a it's a slow change that we're seeing, um, uh, but you look at popular media like uh, shows like Broad City and Girls, and they're really open talking mm. about sex and and um, sex toys. And I think we're having I think ever since you know Sex in the City, we've seen those conversations happening more in popular media, certainly. 
Um, and I don't know, Cindy? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, I do think there's definitely a shift in conversations. And I think that's got, a lot of that's got to do with the availability of information online. Certainly, you know, there's loads of information online about different sex practices these days, which is a great thing. Um, on one level, I mean, it's great because it's, there's loads of stuff online, but sort of secretly looking at it on your phone or on your iPad or whatever uh, doesn't mean that you're out and about talking about it. So, again, you know, the only way that we can make this shame go away is, you know, to, to look at the work of um, Brene Brown, who's, um, I'm sure most of your listeners may have heard of her. She's a shame researcher from the United States. She's done incredible work on understanding how shame works and why it does the things that it does. And basically she suggests, and I agree with her 100%, that um, in order to combat shame, we need to be resilient to it. So what that means is that we need to recognize that it's there, own it, but not let it hold us back, that we need to be able to be brave in speaking our truth, even if it means um, we risk feeling we risk feeling isolated. What she suggests is that often when we speak our truth um, to significant people who we feel are going to hear us, it can actually bring us closer. So it's a golden opportunity to actually really connect with somebody. Um, and that's also dependent on listening as well. One of the things that we often forget when we talk about communication is that it's always about the talker. Um, there has to be a listener, and listening, I think, is as important. It's equally as important as talking. But that's another topic. Um, but being able to say what it is that you're feeling is is a way of connecting, and provided, hopefully, that the person listening is listening and is able to hold that information that you've shared with them that can bring you closer together and that can be really magical. Maybe it's worth addressing uh, whether there are any tips for dealing with shame because that might sound like a great prospect to listeners, but what a scary thing, having to swallow your shame and say stuff anyway. Would you, I mean, I think the presence of a facilitator can be helpful in those conversations. Absolutely, if you feel, yeah, yeah, if you feel like you can't do it by yourself, absolutely come and do it in my office. I offer, you know, if you're not in Melbourne, come and see me on Skype or find somebody in your area who's, a, who's comfortable talking about sex. And I think that's just a word of caution. Um, a lot of therapists uh, who might call themselves sex therapists are not trained in sex. They might be trained in psychology or social work and all these other fabulous disciplines. But if they're not actually trained in sex or they don't understand sex, sometimes they can have some... Uh, unhelpful ideas about how sex works and what should you know what's morally right. So mm. be very mindful of checking out your therapist before you book them, because um, uh, a bad therapist can make problems worse sometimes. Mm. Okay. Um, but yeah, if you're not comfortable having that conversation when it's just you and your partner, seek out a good therapist. Mm. So, Lauren, yep. um, you la- launched an online store called Nikki Darling. I did. Can you tell us a bit about um, why you did that and what it, what was involved? 
Sure. Um, how how far back do you want me to go with this story? It all started. Yeah, when, yeah. I was born in nineteen. 19- um, but seriously, I think the first thing that really sparked an interest in this industry for me, I was maybe I was seventeen or eighteen. I had um, only recently moved out of home. I was sharing a flat with uh, a girl who was working. I was living in Perth at the time, and I was sharing a flat with a girl who was working for Barbarella's, which was at the time Perth's sort of. Uh, prominent um, sex store chain, very mainstream sex store chain. Great name, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and she came home from work one day and told me the story of how a an older woman had come into the store. And given that it was a fairly mainstream store, obviously the clientele was it was a pretty typical old fashioned sex store clientele. So predominantly male, mm-hmm. you know the drill. So this older woman had come into the store. And she'd never had an orgasm. So she was very nervous. She confided in my friend who was working there. And and my friend was able to help her, you know, feel feel brave enough to um, talk, talk that out and figure out what was going to work for her to try and achieve that goal that she had and sent her away with a bag of goodies and then got really great feedback about it a wow. few months down the line. And that always stuck with me because what an amazing gift – to be able to give, especially as a woman, to another woman. I, just, mm. I thought that was so beautiful and wonderful. And that always stuck with me. And so I sort of, you know, dabbled in different uh, facets of the adult industry and then um, uh, started blogging about sex toys and, and doing sex toy reviews. Um, and that, that was really interesting to me. I really enjoyed that. And then I started working in another adult store, um, a, a queer sex store in Melbourne, which is, uh, I believe, currently defunct. Um, and, and loved it. And it just grew from there. And I, I started to get frustrated at the way adult stores were being run over here. Even the more progressive ones, I think were still in some ways quite prescriptive, um, uh, maybe a little bit more focused on the dollar than I wanted to be. Um, and not quite as educational as I mm. would hope that the, um, the adult stores in, in Melbourne and in Australia were. And so I figured I'd put my money where my mouth is and, and, went out on my own and Nikki Darling was born. And how long ago was that now? Um, where where are we? It wasn't long at all. It was I launched in August yeah. of last year. So I'm still in the first year. It's it's still a baby business. How exciting. And it looks great. The website's pretty. There's it does have a sort of nurturing vibe about it, you know? <laughs> it looks like it's caring. Um I I like I often find uh, websites for adult businesses, if not completely outdated in their design, mm. very overwhelming. Um, lots of bright colors, lots of flashing, lots of movement. And it can be, for what is already for some people quite an overwhelming experience, just making it that much harder. So I want it to be really clean, really accessible. Gentle, I'd call it. Yeah. 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 Um, so do you, you talk about the need for care and nurture, um, and we touched on this earlier, but the the Western world doesn't really set women up to be sexually empowered. Um, and it's kind of a problem that persists. What what do you think of some of the issues that women face in terms of their sexuality? Um, oh, yeah, like we were talking about earlier, I think that um, one of the main things for girls and women is that they uh, – is that, that, that line about we're taught to be sexy but not sexual. Mm. So we're supposed to perform uh, sex for, for the world, for, for men, um, but not to actually be – authentically sexual for ourselves. Um, so I think that's probably one of the, the big things that women have to overcome. Um, but I would also suggest that maybe we're starting to push a little bit too far in the opposite direction. So now there's 
a million different ways to have an orgasm. And if you're not having the orgasm in that way, you're not doing it right. It's mm. about doing things in the correct way or being able to ejaculate or ejaculate more than someone else can. And it's, it's very goal orientated. And I think that one of the things that we need to do is, is sort of step back and just enjoy the ride mm. a little bit more and, and enjoy uh, it, just, just, yeah, just take it a little bit slower. And how can the products that you um, share on Nikki Darling help women with that? Um, I think that what I try and focus on is instead of looking at toys that are for women or for men or, you know, for cis or for trans, I try and um, just look at toys that are, are multifunctional is one of my favorite things, particularly if you're someone who hasn't really had an opportunity to explore their own bodies and explore their, their sexuality. Um giving someone a toy that has a, a, a myriad of different ways to use it can be really empowering because you can go home and experiment and you can get to know your own body and get to understand what you do and don't like, what you will and won't respond to. Um, so that's that's one of my favourite places to start out when it comes to toys. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And do you find that there are people that um, use products and then realise that products aren't really for them but they've still come sort of uh, some way on their journey towards sexual experimentation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, y- you've tried something and it wasn't for you. And, and that's part of the journey mm. is that we're going to try things and we're going to go, actually, you know what? That's not for me. I thought maybe I'd like a butt plug. Turns out I don't. And that's absolutely fine too. Uh, and we'll just touch on this briefly because um, we're running out of time, but I'm interested in how um, the adult industry markets to women. I mean, it's still quite gendered, isn't it? It's so gendered and I find that really frustrating, Right, um, which is why I try and de-gender what I do. Um, I, I think that that's part of uh, what I was mentioning before about things still being really prescriptive and there's this one size sort of fits all. So it's like, if you are a woman, this is a toy for you and you will enjoy this toy because of your gender, which is just absurd because we're all, our bodies and our, our minds are so individual that what works for one woman isn't going to work for another and they're all pink and purple <laughs> and things like it's a bit like going to Toys R Us, isn't it? <laughs> Look, that's definitely one area that is changing. I think um, I, I love uh, sex toy design um, and the the merging of the art and the sex worlds are things that really excite me. Um, I'm actually, obviously, the listeners can't see this, but I'm wearing right now this silver pendant. It's sort of got a um, a Joan from Mad Men sort of aesthetic to it. And this is a vibrator. Great. This is actually an award-winning design. Um, And so I can wear it out in public and it looks like I'm wearing a fancy pendant, but secretly I can just pop off and switch that on and have a fun time. (laughs) And I mean, that's, that's a world away from the, you know, the veiny old dildos and the, the, you know, pink sparkly rabbit vibrators. Yeah. So there's definitely changes happening. And those necklaces are available on NikkiDarling.com. Absolutely are available. I saw them during my research. (laughs) .au. .au, sorry. I saw them during my, my very important research um, (laughs) session in the lead up to this interview. Mm -hmm. Um, And what are some other um, of your favorite products that are out at the moment? Uh, One of my favorites, it's been out for a little while now uh, there's a Japanese company called uh, Tenga um, and they make a masturbation sleeve so it's designed for a cock and they paired up with the Keith Haring Foundation and the sleeve is textured so that's the part that connects to skin and that's the part that gives you sensation but the texture of this masturbation sleeve is actually the Keith Haring artwork which is 
Can you give it a bit uh, of background? So Keith Haring was a, um, a New York-based artist um, back in the 80s, uh, did a lot of sort of street art work and is quite well known. He actually, um, there's a Keith Haring mural in Collingwood uh, down near the, uh, the Tote. Um, so definitely check that one out to get an idea of, of Keith Haring's artwork and what you might be able to put against your skin to feel pleasure <laughs> with. Um, so I love that. And uh, the other thing that I really love was um, – uh, Jimmy Jane, which is a very high-end um, uh, company, got together with Jamie Hewlett, who's probably best known for his artwork for Tank Girl, and they designed a uh, limited edition set of chrome vibrators etched with his artwork. Oh, wow. So there's just things like that out there, which, you know, 10, 15 years ago just wouldn't have existed. Right. It, it, yeah, it brings a sort of high-end sort of um, – there's a bit more respect for those products, isn't there? You're seeing these products winning design awards mm. outside of the adult industry. You're seeing these products being uh, featured in in magazines and coffee table books and – um, yeah, there's definitely definitely a lot of progress in terms of the both the quality and the aesthetic. Yeah, and and them slipping into different industries as well, which is always yeah. a good thing. Yeah, I think look, it's it's good and it's bad. We're seeing some outsiders coming in, okay, uh, into the industry who maybe understand design, but maybe don't understand anatomy. Uh-huh. So what might look very pretty or interesting might not actually be able to function. So that's that's the trick is okay. marrying that that aesthetic, that design and the function of the toy. Because obviously we can enjoy how something looks, but we're not going to spend money on a sex toy unless we can actually use it for sex. Right. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. Um, and do you want to give Nikki Darling a plug in terms of social media and web? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you can find our website at nikkidarling.com.au. Uh, and we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Nikki Darling AU. So the forward slash Nikki Darling AU. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you so much to my guests, Cindy Darnell and Lauren Clare. For more info about Cindy's workshops and online courses, check out cindydarnell.com. That's C-Y-N-D-I Darnell, D-A-R-N-E-L-L. And to see Lauren's groundbreaking online store, visit Nikki Darling. N-I-K-K-I-D-A-R-L-I-N-G dot com dot A-U. I'm Amy Middleton and thanks for joining me for Women on the Line. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. It's produced and presented by a group of women at 3CR Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. Women on the Line can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au, or download the podcast at 3cr.org.au slash podcast. I'm Amy Middleton. Tune in next time for another edition of Women on the Line. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.